I'm Bill Lawrence, and welcome to another edition of My Big Bag of Onions. Each show is a carefully curated selection of undeservedly unfamiliar songs and a dozen brand new short stories written exclusively for Colm Radio and especially for this show by you, our listeners. So it's time for you to sit back because this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Favorite Things by Paul Hooper. Life can be cruel. Some of the things you value most can be taken away by advancing age, if nothing else. Omar Khayyam said something like, A loaf of bread, a jug of wine, and thou. I presume by thou... He meant cheese. Yep, I'm into moderation now. But what have I got to show for it? Clear airways, better sleep, and declining weight. Hmm, maybe that's not a bad deal. But now I'm so good at moderation, I wonder if I can swap a dog bite and a few bee stings for a nice Rioja and some blue Stilton.
instead of the usual haddock by Giorgio Adelopoulos. Work had been slow in the chippy. He had to sell the questionably rose-blushed fillets instead of the usual haddock. But people didn't buy it, so he did, for his own supper, better than throwing it. Weeks passed like this. He kept on eating the fish, thick, fatty like beef, until one evening his breath shortened. His limbs wept, and scales started to grow in place of his hair. Without knowing why, he ran to the river, threw himself in and swam, until he reached the sea. He was free and happy, until net. Hook. Knife. Ice. Batter. Fry. Served. Just your selfish bit of fun Right from the start Without a thought for my art You held me near And clearly whispered That we should be so glad For the moments that we had we knew you'd part without a thought for my heart. Now ain't the time for thinking. I should have done my thinking months ago. I may not know which man's worth keeping. But now I surely know The kind who ought to go A parting kiss With this I crumble And all my fantasies Are scattered by the breeze I played my part Without a thought for my Radio here on 106.6 FM and this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions featuring short stories written especially and exclusively for the show by friends of Colm Radio. When the Toilet Paper Ran Out by Tony Pierce. It 
it's funny the things that get you in the end. Little issues grow like beanstalks into colossal concerns whilst a global crisis goes unnoticed. Trees started to perish, but we developed such a complacency over Dutch elm disease that the demise of the oaks, willows and cherry blossoms went largely unnoticed. In fact, I think we just stopped looking. Then the toilet paper ran out. We couldn't use leaves as there were no trees and newspapers weren't an option. So, unless you wanted to use your iPad to wipe your bum, you were doomed. Plus, the oxygen was running out. Bring the sharks Bring them from the brightness Bring them from the dark Reckoning by Bill Lawrence The trains and roads to Colchester had been full day and night for weeks and still they came Loaded with tent, a change of underwear, their t-shirts emblazoned with the face of their messiah, and of course, their precious well-thumbed copies of Come to Colchester for Armageddon. From Castle Park and Abbey Fields to Mile End and Tollgate, the congregations increased and the blessed multitudes waited patiently for the end of the world. With only hours to go, the shocking truth was revealed. The apocalypse was going to be at Clacton, not Colchester. God had made an administrative error.
This is Bill's Big Bag of Onions, with its special soundscape of gorgeous music and unique short stories written solely by our community, here on 106.6 FM Colm Radio. Underwater Friends by Minnie Ardo At or about 30 metres depth, depending on the individual, the nitrogen starts to really kick in and affect the brain, something they call narcosis. It sounds nasty, but it's actually a dangerously pleasant feeling, mildly addictive in fact, and that's the trouble. Only once to 50 metres with a friend, with another friend hovering above just in case things went weird, 
and either or both parties decided that they really didn't need to breathe air and threw away the regulators. It's a particular place to be, but better not to go there, not without a couple of friends anyway. Simon and on. I gripped the handrail tightly. I did not want to miss this. It was not something you could see every day. The footbridge felt solid under my feet, but could it withstand what was coming? First you just saw a faint trail of smoke, but as it got closer you could hear the hiss and roar. Then see the beast in all its fire-breathing, smoke-billowing beauty. The rail sang and the bridge trembled slightly, as I was enveloped in a dense cloud of the wonderful creature's smoky breath. And so... The flying Scotsman thundered beneath and away from me.
Fear by Sally Wazy. Since he had moved into his terraced house, Ronald had had a recurring dream. He would arrive home from work to find that his house had gone. This thought then began by degrees to work its way into his waking life. He would sit at his desk, wondering whether his house would still be there when he got home. Then one day, he arrived home to find a gap in the terrace. Number five and number seven were still there, but number six had disappeared. Ronald felt rather silly to have ever been worried. Ronald lived at number ten.
these are my big bag of onions, unpeeling the layers of music and spoken word with remarkable stories written by our remarkable listeners here in our community on 106.6 FM Colm Radio. Go on, smell my onions. Subconscious Actions by Phil Boast James was distractedly picking out tunes on his guitar. He could carry out this highly complicated, dexterously intricate pastime nowadays without really thinking about it. It was a well-practiced art. His mind wandered onto bigger things, the hugely complex business of interactions with his fellow human beings, emotional connection, communication, and the whole chaotic, unpredictable nature of it all. This, he decided, was rather like playing the guitar. If he stopped for a minute and thought about what he was doing, he probably wouldn't be able to do it. Better not to think too much then. Best just keep playing. Onion, luminous flask, your beauty formed petal by petal. Crystal scales expanded you, and in the secrecy of the dark earth, your belly grew round with dew. Onion, under the earth, the miracle happened, and when your clumsy green stem appeared, and your leaves were born like swords in the garden, the earth heaped up her power, showing your naked transparency. And as the remote sea, in lifting the breasts of Aphrodite, duplicating the magnolia, so did the earth make you, onion, clear as a planet and destined to shine. Constant constellation, round rows of water upon the table of the poor. Onion, you make us cry without hurting us. I have praised everything that exists. But to me, Onion, you are more beautiful than a bird of dazzling feathers. Heavenly globe, platinum goblet, unmoving dance of the snowy anemone. And the fragrance of the earth lives in your crystalline moistness and your unassuming onion nature. Salama beako matina kaye namasi sawa beako. Thank you. 
Medication Time by Daryl Lotterby The speakers in the inpatient's day room crackled as the dispensing nurse made her usual mid-afternoon announcement. A microphone in one hand and the tray with its complex of coloured tablets in the other. Medication time, she intoned. The old man in the corner tapped the arm of the male nurse who stood beside him, moved forward conspiratorially and whispered urgently. I used to be the President of the United States, you know. I know, Don, I know, replied his guardian, tightening the straps that bound his wrists, just like I used to be the King of England. As a young man, he fought against apartheid in South Africa. Expelled from there, he lived in St. Ives, forging artworks 
and personifying feminist ideals, a man working as secretary to a woman. Then to America, where he established a new discipline, urban design, by asking poor black people what their communities needed. Always writing, fighting for the rights of the disadvantaged and for decency and justice. Until last Tuesday. After 98 years, a light has gone out in Pittsburgh. But little lights burn on in so many lives that he inspired. David Lewis, I love you and salute you. You've been listening to Onions, written for Con Radio by Paul Hooper, Giorgio Adelopoulos, Tony Pierce, Bill Lawrence, Minnie Ardo, Simon Anon, Sally Wazy, Phil Boast, Daryl Lotterby, and Rob Lewis. If you would like to contribute an onion, just get in touch, either with Colm Radio or via the Bill's Big Bag of Onions Facebook page. And remember, the stories must be exactly 100 words long. Guppy Productions presents Episode 1 of From Colchester to Sulawesi Written for Cone Radio by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher The Moment I suppose it's fitting, in a way, that the moment should have happened here. Singapore has, after all, been our gateway into the Far East many times now. And many times we've sat on Clark Quay on the last evening, booked into a typically Singaporean hotel, and waiting for the long-haul flight home the next morning. It's a well-trodden path, and a familiar feeling, which starts somewhere in the pit of your stomach, but finds its way everywhere soon enough. We always talk it up, of course. It'll be great to see the dog again, Buru, the Belgian shepherd dog, who is my constant companion at home and who sits on the passenger seat of the Land Rover on the way to whichever garden I happen to be landscaping on any given day. And sure, it'll be nice to see the cottage with all of its 17th century charm and to have all our familiar things around us catch up with friends and family and eat our favourite food. It isn't all bad, going back, is it? So we talk it up and try to convince ourselves and each other that it's okay, really. Colchester's not a bad town, my business is doing okay, and Paula's making great strides in her career, fast-streaming her way into the upper echelons of the civil service. Life's good, isn't it? But the feeling doesn't go away, but rather lies there waiting for moments of weakness, when the thin veil of mutual reassurance falls away, and we both know we're kidding ourselves. One of us has to say it sooner or later. We're sitting here drinking bottled beer in the humid, tropical heat. And at some horribly jet-lagged time tomorrow, we'll be stepping out onto the airport concourse at Heathrow and thence out into the cold English winter. And I've never been good with the cold. It was a good trip. 
our first time in Sulawesi, and we did everything we went there to do. Phil dived, Bunakan Marine Park, the best diving he's ever done, as he never seems to tire of telling me, and the Minahasa mountain regions were beautiful. Oni was a good guide, and Albert was a good driver. We'll take some fond memories back from this place, but that isn't enough, is it? We, after all, also have memories of Borneo, Thailand, Korea, Hong Kong, and so many places which we carry with us like a comfort blanket, which keeps us going until the next time. But something has been building inside us both for years now, which is sometimes spoken of, but only in jest, really. We couldn't really do it, could we? It's about happiness, isn't it? I mean... Happiness is something which can come apparently out of nowhere and take you unawares at the most unlikely and unexpected of times. And it isn't all about where you are or even what you're doing, but the fact remains that we look forward with anticipation to every time we come to the tropical parts of the world. And the thought of going back to our temperate home is never a happy one. So there's that. And the fact of it is that the fount of all my happiness is sitting on the other side of the table. And that's been the case since Paula was 16 years old and we met for the first time in the Brewer's Arms in Osborne Street in Colchester. And we only needed to meet once. Just for the record, I was much older, being two weeks into my 17th year. But the fact that girls get there much earlier than boys at that stage of life probably compensated for my mature years. It isn't about houses or the latest gadgets or the best furniture. We, we've done that and we're in our 40s now and the houses get bigger and older and that would be an acceptable, respectable way to carry on and life would be a fine thing. We never married. We never felt the need to make public pronouncement of our love and we never wanted kids. We've always been enough for each other and sufficient unto ourselves. So our love is a given, and love is a movable thing, which does not rely upon where it is or how big or old a house it lives in, or what kind of car it drives. So what would be stopping us, really? We have a telephone number, written on a piece of paper. Conversations and ideas happen, and our first impression is that the peninsula of North Sulawesi would be a great place to live. The climate, the people we've met and spoke to, and one conversation with one Indonesian woman in particular, who owns and runs a resort in the highlands, left its mark. What Sulawesi needs is foreign investment, people like us coming to live here. And there are precious few of those. In our entire trip, the only other foreigners we met have been a very few other tourists. So, we talked to Oni. He could help us if we wanted to, of course, he'd be happy to. And we had nodded and thanked him and that had been the end of it. It wasn't a serious idea. But we have a telephone number.
We had to come away, really, in order to get some perspective. These things are best not decided or given serious thought in the heat of the moment, in the romance and unusual ambience of a holiday when one's mind is likely to take off on a flight of fancy. In my more honest and rational moments, I could concede that there were too many things which mitigated against it. Neither of us can speak a word of Indonesian, and the, the British were never here. This part of Indonesia was part of colonial Netherlands once, until just after the Second World War, and hardly any English is spoken anywhere. So we came away, just to see whether leaving would be enough to make us see the total impracticality of the whole idea, which had not even really been seriously spoken of, because it was sheer folly, surely. Thus have we made it as far as Singapore, drinking beer on Clark Quay and watching the traditional junks pass along the river. We both knew what needed to be said. Neither of us can remember now who was the first to say it, when the definitive words were spoken or how many beers we had drunk. But at some time during that evening, the moment came, which was a combination of years of thought and too many long-haul flights going the wrong way. It was more of a question, really. Tomorrow we fly. This was our last night in the beloved tropical heat. But we know we'll be back as soon as money, contractual commitments and annual leave allow. So the question is, why are we going back to such a good and worthy life? Good and worthy though it is, when perhaps with a degree of imagination and a considerable injection of insanity, Life could perhaps be so much better. Back home, we fetch Buru from the boarding kennels. His proper name is Sanburu. We bought him soon after a trip to Kenya, and it's good to see him. He's quite old now, as dogs go. And we wouldn't consider going anywhere until he's no longer with us. But that will likely not be very much longer. Dogs are movable, but he's old, and would not benefit from the journey, nor adapt well to the heat of the Far East, and we would never leave him behind. So, what do we feel now we're back? One day to sleep off the jet lag, and then back to the daily commute to London, or to the airport in order to connect with my numerous and disparate staff, who live and work from the tip of Cornwall to the north of Scotland. Phil will pick up his business and his tools and life will resume its usual patterns of working on working days and playing hard at the weekend, condensing our lives together into too short a span of time, which is how we've lived until now. Perhaps after a few days or weeks we'll be able to forget the long, hot, tropical nights until the next time. Perhaps it will all fade out with the busyness of a different life as it usually does, but... This time it's different. This time we can't quite let go. The feeling that we're in the wrong place and the wrong climate doesn't find a place to be quiet. The inner voice is speaking too loudly and this time we have a telephone number on a scrap of paper. I think it took about two weeks. I work out the annual leave which, at my grade, is a quite generous allowance, and one evening Phil made the phone call. Our instruction to Oni was clear. Look for land for sale in the mountains. We'll be back in three months' time. Perhaps buying land and building in Sulawesi is, after all, a more realistic project than some others that we have considered. There was the elephant sanctuary in Africa, or a plantation in Borneo, both of which have been discussed over red wine in times of intoxicated inspiration. But in any case, this one had embryonic momentum now, and who knew where it would end? There hadn't been a single definitive moment, not really, but if there had been one, it had happened sitting by the river in Singapore. And that, for us both, is where the moment will always stay. Motherland Stay beside me, don't go 
don't you go? So what will happen next? Find out when we return to the journey of Phil and Paula from Colchester to Sulawesi in the next episode of Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience.